Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Today's episode will be hosted by Dr. Aaron Elmore. Listeners may remember Dr. Elmore from her multiple guest appearances on the show, and we're happy to announce that she'll now be hosting occasional episodes too. Dr. Graham Taylor will still be the regular host of Be Here Ball today, but we're excited to bring you multiple perspectives and voices on the show through our guests and now through our hosts. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Elmore, and with me today is Deepak Gopal Krishna. Deepak is the founder and CEO of Ray, an on-demand mental health platform that delivers online and self-guided therapy in an immersive virtual reality setting. Deepak is a neuroscientist with a master's in biology and a PhD in genetics and molecular biology at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He began his career in biotech, venture capital, tech startups, and also product consolidation. And since founding Ray with partnership of Daniel Freeman, co-founder and a clinical psychologist at Oxford University, Deepak has been focused on delivering quality mental health therapy through digital treatments. Today, we're talking about Ray and their immersive virtual reality treatments. I'm so excited to learn more about this. Deepak, welcome. Can you just get us started telling us what inspired you to create Ray? What's the story behind it? Sure. Thanks, Aaron, for having me on today. The foundation story for Ray, I guess, goes back to my formative years. It's actually the reason why I went to medical school as well while I was doing my PhD never actually finished. I need to make that clear. So I'm not a medical doctor. I do have a PhD though. And like, like a lot of us, I think we have our own personal and family stories with mental health, healthcare more generally. So my grandmother, who was mostly bedridden for the entirety of the time that I knew her, she had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, had undergone some pretty severe treatments or high doses of lithium, electroshock therapy, all kinds of relatively rudimentary sort of interventions. And her mania and her manic behaviors were so bad that she would spend about you know, six months of the year in bed and the other six months relatively violent and kind of out of it. And I always you know, thought that she was just a crazy old lady. Little did I know that you know, she was a doctor on top of her class, a woman doctor in India, never got to know that person, right? And then later on in life, experienced other shortcomings of the healthcare system more broadly, which is what kind of motivated me to go to medical school and, and try to have an impact on people's health and lives and health outcomes. So that's kind of been the driving force behind a lot of my career choices from sort of biotech to going to medical school, to doing digital health startups, to starting a venture studio. All of that has had that vein through it. Uh, when I met Daniel last year, sort of mid last year, right in the middle of the pandemic, actually. And I saw what he had built over the last 20 years. And Daniel has been doing research on virtual reality for mental illness. And what I saw is something I had never seen before, which is truly sort of clinically backed digital health, digital therapeutic that had been shown and proven in the clinical setting with very rigorous testing to have great outcomes. And one of the biggest problems that we face in mental health is the big discrepancy between supply and demand, right? And everybody so far has been working on how do I give people access to care? As much as you can solve that access and consolidate that access and consolidate that supply, which is what companies like Cerebral and Two Chairs and Talkspace and everyone else is doing, 
you still are not going to bridge the gap between the existing supply and the demand that exists, right? So we have to find a way to scale the supply or the supply side of the therapist to be able to meet that demand. The only way to do that is to build things that can allow a single therapist to be able to have more impact on many more patients. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I saw as the sort of key unlock here with virtual reality therapy, because Daniel had taken sort of best in class cognitive behavior therapy and essentially uh, built out virtual reality environments that delivered the care independent of human intervention. So you don't need to have a therapist present. So you can have a patient or an individual work through it by themselves, which means that they can do half, if not more, of the intervention by themselves. And then the therapist can potentially sort of augment and do the other half. So it's, I always think of it as like, what does human computer augmentation look like in mental health? And that, that was the big, biggest sort of, you know, eye opener for me when I met Daniel and started going through the papers that we have in everything from nature to professional psychiatry and the Lancet and the data, data was stunning and, and, and the opportunity was pretty amazing. Which then led us to say, hey, how can, how can we bring this to market? How can we give this to people who actually need it, right? And that's what we're doing at Raise. We're giving people access to high quality care at scale without necessarily being dependent on the availability of the therapist and sort of being able to do, and I think the, the key word there is also high quality. Uh, because there's a lot of variability as pretty much anybody who's ever tried to access uh, mental health care also knows. So that's kind of the Genesis story. It goes all the way back to the, to the very beginning, right? To the all the best ones do. That's great. So that's, uh, that's the story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that and sharing that personal element to it too. I think it's so nice to see that it's really so many different aspects of your experience and your training coming together in this moment. And then, yeah, I'm very interested to learn even more as we continue talking about Ray, because it sounds like you're bridging a huge gap that's needed. And I like that idea of preserving the quality of the treatment, but also creating, it's almost like you're creating many therapists in a way. So the therapist can attend to issues that are more necessary for human interaction and then, but also helping so many more people so quickly. That's so needed right now. And I think, especially after COVID, you know, we know from all the data, there was a huge influx of people that were seeking services or seeking services more frequently. And so it's actually a really great time, I think, for something like this. Absolutely. So tell me more about the trends you saw in technology as you were looking for these mental health solutions. I know you, you mentioned a little bit of that, but can you go into some more detail? Yeah, no, I, look, I, I think there's a, there's a couple of things, right? I mean, we, we live in a digital and mobile world now. Everybody has a, has a phone, so we're all connected. I think if you take that one step further, you have you know, Facebook rebranding as meta, you have mm -hmm. the metaverse as a concept, you have the install base of things like virtual reality and augmented reality growing. And I expect that we're gonna see more and more of that, right? Niantic, the, the makers of Pokemon Go, yesterday held a big event where they launched their platform for the metaverse. So the metaverse is going to be real. We're going to be living in a world with digital augmentation all around us. I mean, yeah. this on your Google Maps app, right? You open it up, you can sort of see the things that are of interest around you just by pointing your phone at it. So now imagine a world where that's embedded in glasses or is embedded in virtual reality. So that's one big trend, right? Where the, there's, a, there's an interaction between the digital and the physical world, and that's going to continue to sort of grow. There's something that's particularly interesting about virtual reality, and there's been a few studies done on virtual reality versus in-classroom learning versus e-learning. 
right? Mm. And what they found is particularly interesting. So people were four times faster to learn in virtual reality when compared to in classroom. Wow. And and it, it and then I I started thinking about it. I was like, why, right? I mean, but then it's as you start to think about it, it kind of becomes obvious. It's like, hey, I'm trying to learn how to hit a a golf ball or a tennis ball, whatever, right? Like learning any new skill. I mean, a lot of mental health and a lot of cognitive behavior therapy is learning new skills, being able to drop safety behaviors. So if you're going to learn those new skills, being able to do that in a simulated environment translates really well. And you do it much faster rather than somebody showing you a bunch of flip cards and explaining to you how to hit a golf ball and then saying, hey, here's a driver, get out there and play, play 18 holes just doesn't work. Yeah. The knowledge is different than the experience and you get the experience in virtual reality. That's so interesting. Exactly. So it gets, it's four times faster. It's people are 40% more confident in applying those skills. Hmm. Uh, They have a 3.75 times more emotional attachment to the actual sort of environment itself. And that was particularly interesting too. So I think there's the, the install base is growing. Our worlds are colliding with digital and physical virtual reality as a treatment modality for something like this, where you're learning new skills is particularly relevant. And if you look at sort of mental health more broadly, I mean, the gap is just widening between mm-hmm. the supply and demand. It's not getting any closer, right? Even if we train four times the number of people overnight, we're still not going to be able to meet the demand. And the problem with training four times people overnight is- You lose the quality. It has a whole bunch of quality issues, right? So there's that. And there's the overall sort of decrease in stigma. Like a lot of probably millennials and below are very open to talking about mental health and getting care and talking about the care that they get. So people are accessing it more. So all of those, when you put that together, it starts to create a really interesting sort of eye of the storm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you're definitely riding the wave, as they say, of the, you know this upcoming technology boom that's already here and how to make use of it in a good way, in a helpful way. There's one more, actually, and I, I, I've started to see that more this year. And I work with providers, large providers, quite a bit. And these are the, so the tier one research hospitals of the world. They've stopped asking, does it work? They... Mm-hmm are now asking, how do I install digital interventions in my care pathways? Mm-hmm. And when you start to see that sort of flip happening, then you know that you're going to be able to go from sort of D to C to sort of really having impact on the, on the B2B side. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, I'm so curious, tell us more about Ray. I would like to know where the name came from, but also what services do you offer? What is Ray? Yeah. I, the thing about the names is always interesting. It's a very boring answer. Uh, <laughs> it came from a branding sort of exercise that we did, right? Fair enough. Yeah. All the best names do. Fair enough. Yeah. So I mean, it, it, we didn't want it to be something VR. We used to be called Oxford VR, right? And so we were spun out of Oxford VR, VR company. But we're not only a VR company. We are a care company. We are a company that wants to get people better. VR happens to be one of the tools that we use. So we wanted to kind of move away from that. And Ray kind of made sense. So how does Ray work? Right. And I think that's probably your next question around. Yes. Like what, what is it? What is it tangibly? (laughs) Yeah. So maybe I think the easiest way to explain it is what do you experience as a person who seeks care from us? Mm -hmm. So you might find us in a lot of different places, right? You might, somebody might refer you to us. You know, one of your friends might be using our product. 
they might say, Hey, this is really great. You should go check it out. I, I, you know, I got great results from it. Um, we, we are, we are actually specialists more so than generalists. Okay. Uh, we want to be, and we are in a lot of ways, the best in the world at treating some very specific diagnoses. And that is social anxiety, agoraphobia, panic, and that entire sort of B and C cluster of the DSM-5. So it's that B and C cluster. And interestingly, that sort of social anxiety cluster is also comorbid with OCD. It's comorbid Mm -hmm. bipolar disorder. It's comorbid with uh, depression. In fact, I think something like 70% of people who eventually get uh, diagnosed with major depressive disorder were first diagnosed with social anxiety disorder, right? It's also comorbid with a whole host of physical health conditions, diabetes, cancer, et cetera. Inflammation. Yeah, absolutely. So we specialize on treating that cluster of social anxiety, agoraphobia related symptoms. Our trials have also been run for severe mental illness, like psychosis. And we've been able to show that we can get people better in as little as four to six weeks. That's um, amazing with something pretty severe phenomenal. psychosis. Yeah, that's, and, I mean, the uh, social anxiety component makes a lot of sense because you do a lot of in vivo treatment and a lot of exposure treatment for those kind of things. So virtual reality seems to fit right in there. Those are amazing results too, for even more severe disorders. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so that's what we specialize in, right? So we want to do something exceptionally well for that group of people. And we we will expand beyond that, but let's start with, with focus. And uh, we want to be really good at that thing. And that's what we're doing. You know, interestingly enough, beyond anxiety and depression as broad categorization, social anxiety disorder is the third biggest sort of pool of uh, diagnosis in this in this country. It's about 7% of the population. And if you add all the comorbidities, that's about 10% of the population. So it's a relatively large uh, population that we're serving. So you'll come in, you'll actually, you'll schedule uh, time with one of our well-trained coaches. Our program is approximately 12 weeks long. And so it starts with having an initial consult or an assessment with a coach who has been trained to identify what cognitions and what environments do you actually need to work on. And then we will co-develop a plan with you, right? And then we will send a headset to your house. And uh, the plan is essentially some version of the following. You do a scenario and uh, a couple of levels. So we have Six different scenarios. Actually, we have about seven or eight different scenarios, and each scenario has multiple levels. Each level okay. either addresses a particular set of cognitions or it increases it gradually the difficulty of the level. And we're not set up to be just exposure therapy. So exposure therapy is we stick somebody into an environment and we wait till it sort of subsides, right? Or wait till they adapt. But what we actually do is we have them run behavioral experiments where they test whether or not their belief patterns are actually true. And when you identify and when you connect the dots that your beliefs of, you know, maybe you think that I'm going to say something stupid, or people are going to think I'm stupid, or somebody's going to attack me, whatever those cognitions are, we get them to sort of reform the memories associated with those cognitions by running those behavioral experiments. And the way we get people to run those behavioral experiments in the virtual reality is we actually encode a virtual therapist into the environment itself that gives you cues within those environments of what to do, right? So it's like cognitive systemic desensitization where you're rewriting those negative automatic beliefs in the moment, which is so powerful. That's right. So we're getting people to drop defenses, get mm-hmm. safety behaviors, because we're getting people to 
essentially form new memories that are not associated with the existing sort of cognitions that result in those safety behaviors. Mm -hmm. And when you do that in multiple different contexts, and when you do that in multiple different scenarios, you you sort of, I mean, probably some of your listeners are familiar with inhibitory learning uh, theory as well, right? You get to rewire the brain and the brain is plastic. So we could do that. Now, the interesting thing about what happens next is you do that in the VR. That's your first session. Then you debrief with our coach and we say, hey, how did it go? What do you need? What did you work on? What did you learn? Then we set you up to go and test that in the real world. So you do that real world practice and then you come back and you do another session of VR and then you sort of do the same debrief, right? So we go through this cycle of the debriefs, this VR sessions and the real world learnings to eventually get people to the point where they have completely sort of dropped the safety behaviors completely. So at a very, very high level, that's what will happen repeatedly for anywhere between sort of six to eight to 12 weeks, and maybe longer if you want to keep coming back and sort of addressing different cognitive issues that you might be having. And then eventually you graduate the program. We don't want to keep you in therapy forever. In fact, the fact that people stay in therapy forever is... uh, is a, is a bit puzzling to me. It basically means whatever they're doing is not working, right? Right, right. Uh, <laughs> or maybe that you just need to unpack a whole host of stuff. I'm not like pointing fingers at anyone, right? But the goal uh, is to work yourself out of a job as a therapist, right? And there's so much need, as you were mentioning. I think most therapists would agree. Yes, I love when people graduate. You know, it's very fulfilling and it opens availability for more people that need help. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new All Access Pass. All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com bht and enter promo code bht15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. So I love that the goal is to get this done as quick as possible. I think that's what people want. They want to feel better. Yep. So you get the headset, you do all of this stuff, right? And we help you do all of it. And then you send the headset back when you're done. And if you stay with us and and you need to work on things for a bit longer, you can, and you get to keep the headset at the end of it. If, yeah, if it makes sense. So that's, that's broadly speaking, how it works. Okay. Um, That's great. What's the role of licensed therapist in this? Cause I hear about the coaches and the virtual therapists. So what would a therapist who's employed for you be doing? Oversight, so quality assurance, making sure that everything's being delivered appropriately. Because we're so targeted and because our virtual reality treatment has been designed by some of the best in the world that are treating these these conditions, we're able to offer scale by sort of almost automating most of it. It's designed to be done independent. And the role of the coach is to shepherd you through the journey not necessarily deliver therapy. So, so is the coach the licensed therapist or is the coach a different role? The coach is a different role. Uh, okay. So you have a, a licensed therapist who will oversee the coaches. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. So it's almost like this this model is less about like direct client interaction and direct face-to-face therapy from the therapist perspective. It's more about supervising, overseeing, 
managing, but you definitely need a lot of clinical knowledge to make sure that it's going the right direction. That's right. And you also need a lot of clinical knowledge to develop these treatments. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's great. So interesting sort of tidbit here. So there's a research group, I think they were based out of Canada or somewhere else. They ran what's called a meta-analysis. A meta-analysis is essentially comparing the effectiveness of various different interventions side by side to one another. They compared something like 25 different RCTs, sort of trials, clinical trials. And ours was one of them, right? And it was for, it was actually for our Fear of Heights product. So we have a product for Fear of Heights as well. I bet that's popular. Yeah. Well, we're not really putting it on the market yet. I think we might in the future. We're still very focused on social anxiety, but they compared our VR to other VR that just does exposure to in-person therapy to do a variety of different interventions. And they looked at all of these clinical trials side by side and looked at the effect size. And they found that the effect size that our VR had in two weeks was bigger than all of the other ones. That is amazing. That's so significant. Yeah. And the real reason is not because it's VR. It's because of the knowledge that goes into developing the VR, right? And Mm -hmm. that's why it's so important to have the kind of folks like Daniel and his lab and the clinical psychologists doing the definition of that, but also doing the definition of our program. I wonder too, if the setup of it eliminates potential for barriers, like driving to a therapist's office and potential shame of having to share all this with a human person, you know, there may be some more anonymity, which makes people more apt to just go straight in instead of having to build that rapport first. And then you see the progress. Yeah, you, you're right. I, I do think that not having to drive thing is one of the big innovations, I guess, if you want to call it an innovation of like virtual therapy, right? So right, right. House. you can get therapy from home. You can do it in a zoom room, kind of like you know, we're not in the same room right now. I think that that's what I call is like mental health 2.0. Uh, right? yeah. Mental health 1.0 is I go to a room, I see someone, I sit in the room, maybe we lay on a couch, whatever. Mental health 2.0 is maybe I lay on my own couch and you talk to me, right? But mental health 3.0 for me is how do you use technologies like what we've developed to truly create that scale and, and the network effects of, hey, if you can help this one person, you can have like broad implications across the board. So that's that's kind of how I think about that segmentation. But yeah, you're right on the stigma though. The fact that you can kind of access and do some of this self-guided mm-hmm. is particularly special because there's not a lot of other things that you can use from a self-guided perspective. There's ICBT, right? So ICBT is essentially automated apps. But if you look at the effect sizes on the automated apps, they are still muted. Uh, it's the same sort of comparison. Uh, e-learning versus classroom learning versus the VR learning that we talked about before. VR learning is just faster. There's more emotional connection. There's increased confidence. There's a whole host of other things that come with it. Yeah. Yeah. Are you noticing any other successes from this platform? I mean, we've already talked about how it's more accessible, improved delivery, the results are faster and I'm assuming long lasting. Have you guys had time to do longitudinal studies as well? Yeah. Okay. You're yeah, so we're actually just about to publish a trial that we ran in psychosis with approximately about 400 patients where we followed them six months out, a year out, very positive stuff. And uh, long- good. The, the, the longitudinality of the results are are very good. Good, uh, good. But the, to, to your question on, you know, what else are we seeing outside of the faster, big effect sizes, longitudinality, anonymity? I think those are probably some of the big ones that, that we're able to deliver in a differentiated way. Like that's, that's different from like traditional therapy, right? Yeah. I would say that's, that's, that those are probably some of the big things. Yeah. And those alone are amazing. Very, very significant. That's great. 
So you already talked about how Ray is delivered currently, you know, the headset comes to your house and you go through the program. Is there a way that you see it developing differently in the future? Or do you think that that format and that delivery will pretty much be the same? Yeah. I don't think there's a one size fits all for anything really. Right. There's a lot of variabilities. I mean, there's variabilities in environments, there's variabilities in the social determinants of health, there's variabilities in you know, economic abilities of different individuals. So we have to be able to deliver these types of interventions and to have the biggest impact, we have to be able to deliver it in lots of different ways. So yes, Mm -hmm. there might be some people who can, you know, go out and buy a headset and the headset sold 300 bucks, right? And that's not necessarily in reach for a lot of people. So how might we deliver that in a better way, right? Like, should we have something in a community center, right? Should we have something in... Uh, in a school setting, right? Like, should we have something at the student health center? Should we have something in the rec center that people can go in and use and anonymously and then sort of be able to get care? Should we potentially sort of have an ambulatory pathway where you have a clinical social worker who's working with Medicare, Medicaid patients, and they have this and we can go train them up and they can deliver this to the people who need it, right? So there's lots of different ways to deliver this. This is the the get it at your house model is a very specific sort of model. We are working on the ambulatory model. We are looking at inpatient models as well. We don't only do low acuity depression and anxiety, right? I mean, we do sort of high acuity, severe mental illness as well. So there are inpatient facilities that we're also talking to about uh, working with. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, there's so many opportunities. They're just endless, endless opportunities. And I'm sure as technology continues to develop, you know, you, you'll adjust as necessary and provide even more efficient or, you know, diff- different environments based on technology. So can't wait to see where that goes. What are some of your hopes for Ray in the future? I think the easiest one is what's always been my goal, which is 10 million lives, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 10 million lives improved. It's a personal goal that I've always had, you know, and when I started to look at medicine and all that kind of stuff, I was like, Hey, you know, if I become a doctor, I can probably, you know, see people one-on-one. If I sort of change the way we deliver care, I can have sort of exponential impact. I mean, I would say that's, that's probably one of the things that I want to achieve by sort of having the kind of impact at the, at the broadest reach possible. And not only for people who can afford to pay $400 a month out of pocket, right? Because that population is very small. In fact, that population probably has the most options. It's the rest of the population that, you know, needs it. I don't want to minimize the needs of the people who are willing to pay $400 a month out of pocket, but I want to have a broad reaching impact. Yeah. Yeah. Start at 10 million and do hundred million and then keep going. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a good point on the, the fee. So if somebody was interested in starting Ray, what are they looking at 400? Is that the package cost or is it unique depending on the program? Uh, I was just kind of plucking 400 out of the air. Uh, I figured, yeah. 400 is kind of what most therapy platforms on the internet cost today, right? It's about ballpark price for if you want therapy once a week, essentially, right? Yeah. We have a couple of different options. We do have a beta program running where we're actually offering it for free. So if you have an Oculus headset, you know, you can go to vr.getray.com and sign up for that beta program. We also have another program that's $89 a month where you get access to all of the content and unlimited access to your coach so via, via chat and text and all of that stuff. And one of the things that you know, given that we're you know very specifically offering services for the social anxiety population, you don't have to talk to someone 
you need to be like to sign up that's such a good point we laugh right but you know one of the things that we found is like people get to the point where you're like hey we need to sign up for like an assessment and you got to do that by phone or by video and people like you people aren't ready to do that i was like that's why i'm coming to you like don't make me talk to someone right so you could do it by by text message so that's that's 89 a month and we try to sort of graduate you as, as soon as we can. Uh, Those are very affordable, like, you know, given the quality, uh, the quickness, the effectiveness of treatment. Those are very, very affordable rates. Do you know if people can get insurance reimbursement or right now is it just set up to be out of pocket? Yeah. You know, this, this is something that we've struggled with for a while. And, you know, we are approved to sort of deliver therapy and get reimbursed for therapy. But because we're not actually delivering one-on-one talk therapy and our therapy is VR based. We're still working with the insurance companies to get that covered. Uh, I'm sure why we've worked out a relatively low price, right? So 89 a month, which includes the headset rental. Actually, if you don't have a headset, we'll actually send you one. It's great. So that that's our sort of answer for that right now, but we are in conversations with a variety of the payers. We're, you know, we're trying to figure out how to get it covered for Medicaid, like, which is probably, you know, the, the hardest bar to hit as well, as well as commercial payers. So, you know, that, that is on our roadmap. It's something we're working on, but, you know, we're trying to do something that's never been done before, right? Like absolutely therapeutic for specific indications, reimbursed. We're also going. Yeah. So, so that's, that's in the works. Okay. Yeah. You need them to write you an entirely different billing code that doesn't exist yet. That's right. Yeah. But I imagine that I'm sure that will come because the, the data behind it is so significant. The results are so significant. You know, I I think I'm sure that will come in time. Yeah. Look, I I think that I'm very bullish about sort of digital therapeutics industry more broadly, Uh, not just ours, but I think there's a lot of people working on some very interesting things for not only mental health, but a whole host of healthcare products that where we're showing the power of uh, digital technology to actually deliver good outcomes. So the FDA is working on improving their thinking, their speed and their processes and guidelines to bring software to people at low cost. Yes. So great. So needed. I'm sure we have some therapists listening who want to get on board with this. Are you currently hiring those overseeing psychologists or therapists? Or, you know, what, what need do you have right now for staff members? Yeah. So we're sort of pretty heads down with our current therapists and coaches. So we will start probably scaling that early next year. So I would say January, February, but right now, what we want to do is to be able to treat our current members and give them the best care that we can and do that in a way that, you know, starts to become sort of truly scalable. So right now we, we're, we're kind of capping our member capacity at a certain amount so that we can give them the best care that one, they need and two, that we want to give them. That's wise. Yeah. I, yeah. That makes sense. So maybe if someone's interested, say, just keep, keep monitoring and check back next year. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, just goes back to what I mentioned earlier, right? Like we want to do, do one thing and we want to do it really well. And in order to do it really well, you can't necessarily just go and do it at scale because consistency often gets impacted when you try to scale things too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so that's, that's kind of how we think about the world. And I think that makes you guys stand alone from a lot of the other platforms that are out there. You alluded to this in the beginning is that it's so hard to have quality control on a new platform like this, when there's such a mass audience. And I definitely have heard stories from clients or colleagues who had an experience perhaps at some of those other 
platforms and the quality isn't always what you would hope it would be. So yeah, definitely respect the idea of making quality first and then you can scale as needed. I think that's great. Yeah, because look, I think there's lots of different ways to make money, right? But making money is in the end goal here. If you think about value as sort of outcomes at the lowest cost, where outcomes is the numerator and the cost is the denominator, you have to be able to deliver outcomes. And (laughs) in order to do that, you have to sort of manage quality. So, you know, most of these marketplaces out there, it's very, it becomes very hard to manage quality. I I understand their problem. Um, And the clients know, they can sense it goes, you know, systemically through the whole program, they can sense if the heart of it is to make money or if the heart of it is to help them. So I think that's definitely going to make Gray stand out as well. Yeah. And look, yeah, no, no sort of hit on venture capitalists, right? But uh, once you take venture capital dollars, the, the push to make money becomes very strong. Figuring out how to balance that and returns with delivering outcomes and quality is tough. I can sympathize with that. At the same time, I think we know what we want to do. Definitely. Definitely. So if somebody is interested in getting in contact with Ray or just learning more about you or your work, where can they go? Where should they look? Yeah. So VR, like virtual reality. So the letters VR.getRay, G-E-T-R-E-Y.com. I should land you on our site and there's both links for the demo program, which will be on a banner at the very top of the site. And then there's also a, a sign up process for the paid program as well. So, you know, feel free to check us out there. And I mean, I, you can reach out to support at GetRay and hey, I, I read those as well. So. Okay. That's great. That's great. Well, Deepak, this was so interesting and I really appreciate you being here with us today. I feel like I've learned so much and this is definitely an up and coming area of the field and of technology. So I'm excited just to follow the progress and I'm sure we'll be hearing about this as a household name pretty soon. So great work. Thank you. No, it's a pleasure. And thank you for having me on, you know, love these conversations, especially, you know, given that you guys clearly know the space and have seen what else is out there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to remind our listeners as well that in this episode, it's resources and all our other shows can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. You can visit triadhq.com slash BHT today and explore the archive. And finally, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining in on this conversation. We appreciate you being here with us too, and look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.